want to look at verse 7 through 15 today. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can open up your phone or your mobile device or whatever you have, or you can look on the screen, amen. And we're going to go to the living word today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we say once again, welcome. And we pray that the word today will impact your heart. Uh, What a blessing it is to be able to read the very words of God, to not have to guess what the creator of this universe is thinking, but to know what he has already said, and to be able to come together as a people and to hear his word. What a a gift, what a blessing. As we hold our Bibles, let's uh, let's not take that lightly. And let's sit under the the authority of the scripture today as the Lord works through his word. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 15, we've been talking about the Holy Trinity, and we're going to continue to talk about the Trinity by narrowing in, zeroing in on the Holy Spirit. The title of today's uh, sermon is uh, The Marvelous Ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Marvelous Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And John writes, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he speaks, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for allowing us to sit under it. We thank you, Father God, for getting us to the point to be able to to come to church and to hear your word. Precious Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to illuminate this word, to make it real to us, to make it relevant, to make it matter. We desperately need you to unclutter our hearts to allow us to not be overwhelmed with our problems, but to allow us to be overwhelmed with Jesus and underwhelmed with our problems. Lord, we desperately need to hear from you. And Father, even now as we gather, we pray for all those who are in mourning this week in Boston. We pray for that city, Father God, that even in the midst of this tragedy, that your Holy Spirit would go through that city and draw people to you. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of their loved ones to this senseless act of violence. We pray, Father, that you would draw them to you, draw that city to you, O God. And even as we reflect on the evil of this world, Father God, 
May you allow us to realize, Father God, that you are good, that you are loving, and that we stay in a fallen world, Father God. And that the things that we experience in this world, that you told us that we would experience. So I pray, Father God, that you will soften the heart of the person who is asking why and who is doubting you this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to fill this room, but to fill every pulpit across this country and across this world that will preach Jesus today. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit. The marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit. I read an article about a St. Louis woman who was suing a church, an evangelical church, for injuries that she received while at church. In the middle of, of worship, Uh, The complaint says that uh, there was a a woman who was in front of her who caught the Holy Spirit. And as she caught the Holy Spirit, she got really excited and she fell backwards into a crowd of people, a crowd by which she was in. And when a woman fell backwards, she fell into her and caused her to be injured. Now, the woman was not a member of this church, but she had been going regularly And she says in a complaint that the reason why she's suing is because the church should have known better. They should have been more prepared for when the Holy Spirit came. She said protocol, church protocol says that whenever the Holy Spirit comes, that there needs to be two ushers and one deacon present. And they fail to do so, so they owe her money. When we think about the Holy Spirit, some of us, that's what we think about. We think about him from this perspective or from this way. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about him as an uncontrollable force that unexpectedly possesses people and that causes people to faint or act violently or to do uncontrollable things. Some of us, whenever we hear the word Holy Spirit, we think, oh, that's the person who jumps into people and who calls them to convulse, to scream, and to do the holy footwork and dance, and then faint. But then there's a, another group of people who think about the Holy Spirit in a different way. There's another group of people who don't think about the Holy Spirit as God or as a person, but who thinks about him as more of a symbol that the Bible speaks of that may or may not exist. They, they underplay the Holy Spirit or even deny him altogether and say that, that, that he's something that the Bible or the biblical authors just kind of make up. And strangely so, this is true amongst evangelical Christians, those who possess to be Bible believers. The Barna Group Research Center uh, surveyed uh, a number of people who proclaimed or professed to be Christians about the Holy Spirit. And only 33% of professing Christians that were surveyed said that they believe that the Holy Spirit is a real person and is truly the person that the Bible, in a a way that the Bible speaks about. 33% of Christians surveyed believe that the Holy Spirit is a real, literal, living person being. We have two extremes, and between those two extremes, we have all kind of other thoughts. What does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? What picture does 
it paint about him? Does it paint a picture of a, a raging force that makes people violently lose control? Does it paint a picture that says that he is very impersonal and, and really a symbol and not a person? No, the Bible paints a picture of the Holy Spirit that says the Holy Spirit is a person. It, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Bible paints a picture that says not only that, but the Holy Spirit is fully God and equally God. And that the Holy Spirit is extremely personal. He is extremely personal. So today we are going to, to look at the marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit. For the next few weeks, uh, when I have the chance to be before you, we are going to see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, and we are going to stand back in awe and marvel at his amazing ministry. I believe that if we correctly see the Holy Spirit, I believe that we will be able to live with an advantage. When we correctly see the supernatural and amazing nature of him, we will be able to, to live with an advantage. We will be able to take advantage of his ministry and experience not a subpar Christianity, but a powerful Christianity, a Christianity that doesn't move with the world, but a Christianity that moves the world. In today's text, we... I learn about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we learn about his work from Jesus. So in your bulletins, you can follow along. You'll see that we're going to look at the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit as presented in this text. I believe that this is a broad overview of what the Holy Spirit does. In the next few weeks, we'll be zooming in on other passages that will better explain his ministry that will better explain his ministry. So today we're going to call you to, to live with an advantage by taking advantage of the Holy Spirit. So let's get a little context and, 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 and kind of zoom out for a second as we look at this verse, these verses. Before we get to chapter 7, we see that Jesus has been talking for a while. Uh, Jesus is headed to the cross. This is his last night of physical freedom before he will be crucified. They have just partaken in the Lord's Supper, and now they're around the, the area of Gethsemane, and he's preaching his last sermon to the disciples. And Jesus has just dropped on the disciples two tough truths. He's just explained two tough truths. The first truth that he's just explained to the disciples is, is that they are about to be persecuted. They are about to have a lot of trouble. And as we read in the text, it tells us that they are going to be hated by everybody, including church folk. It says that they're going to be kicked out of church, taken before kings, and beat. But the second tough truth that Jesus drops on them is, is that he tells them, hey, also, I'm about to go away. I'm about to go to my father and you will not see me any longer. So the Bible says that the, the disciples were greatly grieved, that they uh, uh, were, were deeply bothered by what Jesus just shared. But look at what Jesus says in verse number seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
So Jesus, in talking to these disciples, he knows that their hearts are heavy. Isn't that a good thing to know? That when our hearts are heavy, that Jesus knows it and that he's not insensitive. He knows that their hearts is heavy, so he begins to minister to them in a way to lift their hearts and to explain a a beautiful truth. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Why is it to Jesus' advantage, to the disciples' advantage, that Jesus is no longer with them? That just seems backwards. That seems weird. Jesus not being with me is an advantage? They're thinking, how is this so? You've walked with us for the last three years. We've, we've sold all of our, we've sold our goods and we've given up our businesses. You've completely cha- reoriented and changed the way that we live and the way that we think. And now you're going to leave and you're going to say that it's better that you're gone? Isn't life going to go back to, just, to the way it was before you came? Why is it to their advantage? Well, I believe that that the scriptures uh, uh, teach and testify that the reason why it is to their advantage and our advantage that a, a physical incarnate Jesus is not on the earth right now is because Jesus is limited to where he can be because he's in a physical body. Jesus was one person, though fully God, but he was only able to be one place at a time. Mary and Martha, when they lost their brother Lazarus, that's what they say. They say, Jesus, if only you had been here. If only you had been here. But see, with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not limited to being at one place at a time because the Holy Spirit, he is a a, a spirit. He is not confined to one, one body. He is amongst the people of God at all times. And not only is he amongst the people of God at all times, but the Bible says he indwells the church. Anyone who is a part of the church has the Holy Spirit indwelling within. So he says, it is going to be to your advantage that I go away because the helper is going to come and he's going to reside with you. Now, this word helper is also used in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it is actually used, it appears as the word advocate in the ESV Bible, but it's the same word that's here that's used when talking about the Holy Spirit. When talking about the Holy Spirit. Which shows us that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one. And they both share the same amount of power, the same amount of glory, Um, So he's trying to let them know that this this helper is going to be just like me, only he's going to be indwelling in you and with you. This word helper in the Greek literally means a, a person who comes to another person's aid. Some translations, it says the the counselor will be with you. Others use other words like Uh, I'm going to leave an intercessor with you. It is a picture of someone who is constantly coming to the aid of another person. Now, when we hear that, 
in our culture, we, don't, we, we really don't get what that means. Because when we hear about a person being at the aid of another person, we normally have a picture of a, a big, important CEO or celebrity figure who has aides around them, who they just kind of tell what they want and they go and they run and get it. And the aide is, is weak and uh, just serving out of weakness and not out of strength. But this is not what that picture of the helper means. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as helper, it's not giving us a picture of a CEO who has A's that run to and fro. No, it's giving a, a different picture. Have you guys ever, do you guys remember the commercial uh, medical alert? You guys remember that commercial? It was, a, it was a commercial I haven't seen in a long time. not sure if, if it's if the commercial's still around, but it was a picture of, they showed uh, seasoned saints um, who, who fall down, and they have a chain around their neck that they can push a button and call for help. And the whole uh, catch of, of the commercial is, is that the seasoned cit- uh, citizen or seasoned saint would scream, I've fallen and I can't get up. You remember that? Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. That's more of a picture of what the Holy Spirit is. He's not a, a go-boy. He's not some uh, CEO's assistant that, that just does whatever the person wants. No, the Holy Spirit is God. And this God has come to aid weak and sinful people who have been saved by grace, but who without his help cannot get up. Without his help, they can't grow. Without his help, they can't fight temptation. Without his help, they can't look more like Christ. Without his help, they will be selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. He said, I'm going to go away, and it's to your advantage, because I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm leaving you with a helper. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Amen. Touch somebody else and say, I need the Spirit. Amen. I need him. I need him. I need him. I need him to come and and give me a lift. I need him to come and and help me out some, amen, and own me, control me. So let's look at the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first ministry of the Spirit is to convict, verse 8. The first ministry of the Spirit is to convict. The Word says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. So Jesus says that this helper is going to, to come and he is going to convict the world of sin. He is going to convict the world of sin. Now, when we see this word, word convict, we want to understand that this word isn't a word that is used to say that he's going to beat up the world and make them see their sin, but it's more of a word that says he is going to convict by convincing the world that they are in sin. It's not a, a picture of, of law and judgment. It is a picture of grace and kindness. For we are convicted of our sin when we see the beauty and the grace and the kindness 
of a holy and a majestic God. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict of us, us, us of our, our sin. And if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but, but lately in your heart you've been feeling as if something is changing and you're beginning to, to ask yourself questions and to look at areas of your life and, and, and have guilt about it, and that has brought you here today, I want you to listen closely because maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit, is doing a work of convincing on your heart. The Bible says that he convicts us in three ways. The first way that he convicts us is he convicts us by changing, by giving us the right perception of sin. By giving us the right or the correct perception of sin. Of sin. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring light into our heart and into our eyes in order that we would be able to see sin the correct way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, these words, he says, in their case, speaking of people who do not know Jesus, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their mind, the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says that everyone who is apart from Jesus is blinded, their minds are blinded, and they cannot see the truth about Jesus Christ. What the Holy Spirit does when he is ministering and working on a person is he steps into their heart, he begins to show them the correct view about their sin, the correct view about their disobedience towards God. See, apart from Jesus, we all have the wrong view of sin. We all believe lies that Satan tells us about sin. We believe lies and we lie to ourselves and we say or have said that our sin is not a big deal to God. And we're walking around and we're living our life and we're making fun of preachers and we're making fun of Christians and we're saying they are uptight and narrow-minded. Sin doesn't matter. If God is truly a God of love, he doesn't care about it. He's not petty and he turns his back on it. But the Holy Spirit brings, brings truth to us when we hear the proclamation of God's word because when he's working on us, he lets us know that our sin is a big deal. That our sin does matter to God. And he points us to Jesus and says, look, Jesus died for your sin. Your sin took the Son of God to a cross. And he was nailed there and suffered. Your sin separates you from a holy God. And then we believe lies that say, you know, it's actually, it's okay to sin if someone pushes you that far. We believe that lie and we begin to justify why we sin. We say, well, it's, o- it's okay to sin because they made me sin. But then the Holy Spirit comes in in Proverbs. He tells us, do not say that I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. The Holy Spirit begins to work on you and say, no, you know what? This is not okay that I'm treating them the way that they treat me. This is wrong. We believe lies that say, that my sin is, is too big for God, that I'm too dirty, that God will never forgive me for all the dirt and the wrong that I've done. But when the Holy Spirit, the, the marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit is to come in and say, 
That's a lie. You are never too far. You are never too dirty for God to save you. The arms of God is not too short that he cannot save. Though your sins be red as scarlet, he says, I will make them white as snow. The marvelous ministry of the Spirit is to convict us of sin, is to give us the right perception of sin, but it's also to give us the right perception of righteousness, of righteousness. That's what the text says. Look at what he says, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. A person who is apart from Jesus, and and if you're apart from Jesus today, you, you probably have the wrong perception of righteousness. And I think all of us, even as Christians, we, we sometimes, we lean the wrong way when we think about righteousness. Take, for example, we know the, the Boston Bombers of this past week who, by God's grace, praise God, if it was, if it was done, was, was brought to justice, right? But we look at people like that and we say, uh, they were, they're 20%, 20% of their heart is good. They did some good things. They were good students for a while. But 80% of them are bad. 80% of their heart is unrighteous. And we look at people like that and we say, they deserve hell. They deserve hell. That, that pedophile deserves hell. That mass murderer deserves hell. And then we look at the, the guy on a job, the woman on a job who's a jerk. Right? Who's wishy-washy, you know. One day they're sweet, and the next day they're sour. And we say, that person is 50% good and 50% bad. There's a part of them that's really good, and there's a part of them that's really bad. We say, you know, they're they're, they're okay. It's going to be close. Um, If they're going to make it to heaven, it's going to be real close. Maybe they'll go to purgatory. (laughs) We do not believe in purgatory here. Amen. It's even heaven or hell. But that's what we think. We kind of put people in these categories. And then we see the good philanthropist, the businessman, who's also a family man who gives to other people. And we say, now that's a good guy. That's a righteous guy. That guy is going to make it to heaven. Look at all the good he does. See, we have the wrong perception of what it means to be righteous. And why is that the wrong perception? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that, all, that, 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 that God demands perfection. That God demands perfection. He says, be ye perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. See, God's definition of, of righteous say, righteousness says that no one is perfect. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That a person who is 99.9% righteous in the eyes of God is still unrighteous and deserves death and hell and is separated from God. The Bible says that there is only one who is righteous and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only person who is 100% righteous. The Bible says that Jesus came down from heaven and he lived the perfect life so that you and I, if we treasure him, can be forgiven of our sins. The Bible says that when we look to the cross by faith, that God gives us the righteousness of Jesus. 
And Jesus takes our filth and all of our unrighteousness and he nails it to the cross and he buries it to the grave. And now we get to live every day before the sight of God, even though we still sin as perfectly righteous. The Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to challenge the way and he begins to challenge our blinded eyes on what we think is righteous. Because without the Holy Spirit, we have warped views, messed up views. Finally, in this point, we see that the Holy Spirit convicts us and gives us the correct perception of judgment. The correct perception of judgment. Before the Holy Spirit begins to work on on the heart of a person, uh, they really don't fear judgment. Before God came and saved you, you didn't fear judgment. You may have known what the Bible says about judgment, but you didn't fear it. When you were laying and playing, huffing and puffing, Sliding and gliding. Even though you knew it, you didn't know it. And there's someone in here today who doesn't know Jesus who really doesn't fear judgment. You say silly stuff like, well, if I go to hell, at least I won't be the only person there. Find comfort in other people being in hell with you. And it's because you really don't fear judgment. Or you have an attitude that says death, death is the end and there is no judgment. You believe these lies. Some of us believe lies about the judgment day. We say, you know what, we're going to stand before God. And even though I didn't give my life to Jesus or, or even though I really didn't surrender my, my will to Jesus, that the mercy of God is just going to overtake him and he's going to forgive everybody no matter how they live unless they were Boston bombers. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, that's not true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. No creature, the Bible says. The Bible gives us a correct perception of judgment that every single creature who will stand before God one day will give account for every single deed and thought. And it will not be a, oh, he's going to take this lightly. No, it's going to be a day of fear and trembling for those who realize that they have not professed belief in Jesus Christ. And the only person who can give us the right perception of sin, the only person who can give us the right perception of righteousness, the only person who can give us the right perception of judgment is God himself. It is the Holy Spirit. That is his ministry to break our hearts and to unblind us. I had a friend who has an amazing testimony Really bright guy, kind of grew up in a, in a Christian family, a family that caught, taught Christian morals. And he was sharing with me his testimony. He, his father was in the army. He was special ops. He's a tough guy, knows one of all these secret missions and, and things like that. So he, he was raised wanting to be that, wanting to be like his dad. He did everything he needed to do. He's uh, super athletic, 
conquered martial arts, and he goes to, to be in that, that way of service, and he finds out that he can't serve in that capacity because he has a small health issue that no one else knows and no one else cares about except this branch of the army. So he's heartbroken. He leaves the army, and he goes then, decides to go to college. And he goes to college. His first two years, he had a horrible experience at college. Horrible experience. Two years in, he decides to leave home, and he's like, man, I really don't have a place in this world. While at college, some people was trying to share about Christ to him, and his heart got bitter towards him. And he says, for the next few years, I'm going to get a small job, and I'm going to go to the basement of my parents' house, and I am going to tear Christianity apart. He opens his Bible, and he starts in the gospel. He said, I'm going to read this over and over until there's so many contradictions. When a Christian comes up to me, I'm going to try to take their faith away from them. And as he began to go on this mission in his parents' basement with bitterness in his heart, he reads the gospel, he begins to see Jesus, and all of a sudden his heart changes. Right there in that basement, he found himself going to it with drudgery and with the attitude, and he said about a month later he was going with joy because he wanted to see what Jesus did next. And right there in that basement, God changed his perception on sin. Right there in that basement, God changed his perception of righteousness. Right there in that basement, God changed his perception of judgment. God gave him the right view of who Jesus is. And behind the scenes, if we could see it, the Holy Spirit was working on that man. The Holy Spirit was rearranging things in his heart. The Holy Spirit was changing the way he viewed judgment, changing the way he viewed righteousness. The Holy Spirit brought him to his knees to say, Jesus is Lord. And now he is in pastoral ministry. Because the Holy Spirit ministered in a marvelous way. And I don't care who you are today. I tell you, I declare, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I declare if you go to the word and if you beg to the spirit and say, spirit, give me the right perception that the Holy Spirit will come in. And change your perception as well. I've got some people here who's willing to witness. Anybody here who's willing to witness? Anybody here can say that the Holy Spirit is the one who changed me? Anybody here got a dagger that you kind of keep in the back of your purse, but used to be in your front pack pocket? Anybody here can say, yeah, he, he ministered to me. He, he, he took some stuff from me. I, I used to be. Do I got any I used to be's here? Do I've got anybody here who says, and guess what? I'm still not all together, but the Holy Spirit is still rearranging my house. The Holy Spirit is still changing my perception. The Holy Spirit is still allowing me to, to look and to observe. The goodness of God and anticipate that day of judgment. Oh, I know what the Holy Spirit can do. And he may not do it all at once, but I declare little by little, day by day, conversation by conversation, moment by moment, scripture by scripture. He begins to rearrange stuff. Not only is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict, but the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to counsel. Hear me when I say this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to counsel. Look at what, what the Bible says, verse number 12 and verse number 13. I still, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus was a true preacher. I love when he says this. This, this was his way of saying, in my closing, but then you look at the next two chapters if you have a red edition Bible and he's still talking. 
He says, I want to talk to you about some more, but you can't handle it right now. Amen. (laughs) And look at what he says here. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So so the first point, Jesus is really uh, encouraging the disciples, saying that, hey, when you go out in ministry, when you go out to the world, um, don't think that you've got to fix people. (laughs) Don't, Don't think that you're the answer. All you have to do is to present the truth. Don't get bent out of shape when they deny you. All you've got to do is is present the truth, beg the Holy Spirit to come, and and prayerfully watch God work. But then he goes from talking about the way that the Holy Spirit will minister to the world to talking about the way in which the Holy Spirit will counsel them. He says, I'm going to leave. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and now he's going to guide you, disciples. He's going to guide you, apostles to know all that you need to know. And I come to tell you, new Christian, I come to tell you, new believer, I come to tell you, mature Christian, that we have an advantage because we have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who not only convicts us, but he's the one who who changes us and who draws us closer to God by giving us the truth about God. Imagine this, imagine this. Imagine that you are called... And, 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 uh, and, and given a dream job. It's in a new city. It's in a new place. And the job that you've already, always wanted is laid out for you. Pay is unbelievable. Got your own side office overlooking the city that you want to be in. And you say, wow, they want me. They're paying for me to move. Okay. But then all of a sudden you get overwhelmed. Because you begin to think about all the loose ends you've got to tie up. You begin to think about the fact that you're not really prepared for a position of this magnitude. You begin to think about how all your relationships are are going to have to change. You begin to question whether or not you've made the decision by going to this new city, by taking this new job. And just as you are overwhelmed, you, you receive a phone call from the CEO of the company. You receive a phone call and he says, listen, we are so excited about you joining our new job. And I want to let you know that I am personally going to see to it that your move is successful. I'm not going to call an assistant to help you. I'm going to come and I'm going to live right next door with you. And I'm going to help you to do whatever you need to do to come. And I'm going to teach you all the ins and outs of the job. I'm going to make sure that you get a new place. I'm going to introduce you to all the people that I know. I'm going to work through, through you and, 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 and help you when, when you feel frustrated. I'm going to be patient with you. Sometimes I'm going to get on you, but I'm also going to let you know that your position here is secure. Listen, whatever you do, Whatever you say that's wrong, I'm going to forgive you if you just come to me and let me know. And I'm going to take you deeper and deeper into this organization and teach you all the ins and outs. That's what Jesus is saying to the, whole, to the disciples. I'm leaving, 
you might be overwhelmed, but I'm sending a paraclete. I'm sending an aid. I'm sending a counselor (laughs) who will guide you every step of the way and who will guide you to truth. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. The Christian life, it it can be overwhelming. When God begins to change a person and work on a person's heart, it can be overwhelming. As he begins to show you your sin and your shortcomings, it can be overwhelming. As friends begin to treat you uh, in a standoffish way, it can be overwhelming. As that taste is starting to, to come from out of your mouth and you no longer are desiring the same things and the same taste, you, you, you feel kind of lost and your comfort zones is gone, it can be overwhelming. But guess what? The Lord has given you the Holy Spirit and his marvelous ministry is to guide you and counsel you and be there with you every single step of the way. You have an advantage. So cry out to him. Say, lead me to truth. Help me to know you. Counsel me. Show me the way that I need to go. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. Unbelievable passage. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul says here, and he's telling us that the person who has not had their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit, that they cannot accept spiritual things. The person who is still in the flesh, who's still living natural, that that co-worker, that neighbor, that family member, that spouse who does not love Jesus, he cannot understand why you love Jesus and why you get things because he does not have the Holy Spirit. But he goes on to say that, that the one who has the Spirit of God has the Spirit of God because God has freely given it to him. The one who has the Spirit of God, they can discern spiritual things. They can see spiritual things. And when we first come to Jesus and we're growing in our walk, that may not, it's not going to come all at once. But as, the, as we uh, accept the Holy Spirit and as we open up God's word and begin to, to challenge ourselves and to go to God's word, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us in such a way to where we more and more will begin to understand what we read and what we learn. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give us sight in areas and ways that we never had sight before. It is to counsel us and to to lead us to truth. Psalm 25 verse 5, the psalmist said, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you I wait all the day long. The psalmist cries out to God, he says, you give me truth, you lead me the way that I ought to go. Because I need you. Do you pray that prayer? Even when you're at home and you're wrestling with scripture and what something means, or you're wrestling as you meditate about God and and trying to understand why things happen, do you pray, Holy Spirit, please overtake me. Please give me sight. Please revive my heart. Please help me to see. Help me to love your word. 
That's why I love Psalm 119. The psalmist is going back and forth between his, his feelings for Scripture. Eight verses, in the first eight verses, we see he's just loving Scripture, and he's telling everybody else to, to, to meditate on Scripture and to hide Scripture in his heart. And then you'll see in the next part of that psalm that he is begging God to help him to love Scripture because he doesn't want it. This Christian walk, it's a struggle, and it's not easy. But God has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us to truth. We won't always have those feelings, but when we don't, we have to realize that the Holy Spirit is indwelling, and we have to beg him to come and to give us life. And you have to understand that people who don't know Jesus or who's halfway in Jesus, they won't understand you. Your spouse who doesn't love Jesus, they don't understand you. When you get up in the morning to go to church and when you're talking about Jesus and when you're reading Christian books and while you're trying to get close and that friend or that loved one is mocking you or indifferent, even though that they say that they are Christian, it may be because they have not experienced the marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit. It may be because they have never, ever had him come to their aid. They've never been convicted and they've never received his counsel. The counsel of the Holy Spirit is amazing. Third, not only does the Holy Spirit convict, not only does the Holy Spirit counsel, but the Holy Spirit, part of his ministry is to champion Jesus, to champion Jesus. We see this in verse 14 and verse 15. Jesus says, he will glorify me, for he will take the Father, I'm sorry, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The third ministry of the Holy Spirit is to champion Jesus. He says it is to glorify Jesus, to, to show Jesus off. That is one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit. The main ministries of the Holy Spirit. We know what it means to glorify, and we know what it means to champion something. We just celebrated the Louisville Cardinals winning the 2013 NCAA championship. And we were excited because our Cardinals won the championship. All those long years of us rooting for the Cardinals finally paid off. And we saw those boys out there playing some ball. They were representing our city, and it was just natural for us to be engaged and to champion them, to root for them. No one had to prep us or prime us to cheer for them. When they won, it was natural for us to shout and run outside and run to find other people who were shouting too, we didn't even think about it. And half of us wasn't even drunk. We were just happy because our Cardinals won. We were glorifying, championing, showing off the beauty of our team. We walking down the hall at work, and we couldn't help but to stop and say something to somebody we probably never talked to about yesterday's game. 
Susie, did you see the game yesterday? Oh my goodness. Laugh out loud. That was such an amazing game. Oh, did you see where? Oh, we've got to pray for where. Because that's messed up. A soldier is down. Right? We were champion. I was champion the Cardinals. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go here real quick and I'm going to sit down. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What did, what did the text say? It says that when the Holy Spirit comes, part of his ministry, he will glorify me, Jesus says. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says he, the Holy Spirit, the one who is indwelling the disciples, the one who is indwelling the church, as the church is is pursuing this new kingdom, this new job, this new way of living, he says the Holy Spirit is going to take what is mine and he is going to champion me. That's what Jesus said. Isn't it funny how we celebrated the Cardinals? As if we knew the guys personally who was playing. Right? We took what was theirs. They're the one that shot the shot. They're the one that dumped. They're the one that showed, out, uh, showed off in practice. We took what they did, and we made it ours. <laughs> Jesus said, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to take what I have done. Do you know what Jesus did? He's going to take what I have done on the cross, And he is going to empower you (laughs) to share about me. And the excitement when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit about what God has done for them becomes, they identify with it. And they own it because they realize that what has happened, it benefits them. So he shows off Jesus. He, he glorifies Jesus. When the marvelous ministry of the Holy Spirit kicks in, the people of God don't have a hard time praising because it's natural. The people of God don't have a hard time, even at work, even though they're not supposed to be talking about it. Say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me during our lunch break. Uh, the people of God don't have a hard time saying, listen, why they at the grocery store? Let me tell you about a slam dunk Jesus did for me. When the Holy Spirit comes, his job is to show off Jesus. So how do you know when the Holy Spirit is at work? Because Jesus is being showed off. See, sometimes we mix stuff up and we say the Holy Spirit was truly there yesterday, but Jesus wasn't mentioned. The Holy Spirit really moved, but, but the pastor didn't talk about the verse that was read or the chapter that was read. Uh, uh, see, when the Holy Spirit is in the place, Jesus is at the center of attention. Not a person, not a man, not a hoop, not a song. Jesus is the one who was glorified. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples, he says, wait on me. Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going he's to empower you to do the work. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2. And sometimes we get a little fuzzy and we lose focus in Acts chapter 2 and we make that chapter about what it's really not about. We talk about tongues and we have this picture of the Holy Spirit just doing uncontrollable things. But, but that's not what was happening. When the Holy Spirit came through, it broke through barriers. It broke through language barriers in order to show off 
Jesus. It broke through some stuff in order that everybody can be on one accord. See, when the Holy Spirit is working, it breaks through personalities. Um, it breaks through preferences. Um, it breaks through things that believers normally would allow to divide them. And they say, no, let's come together and let's show off Jesus because Jesus is so enough good. Does anybody, is anybody able to testify and glorify Jesus with me? Is anybody able to stand to their feet and say, Jesus is the reason that I'm here. Jesus is the reason that I'm saying. Jesus is the reason that I sing. Jesus is the reason that I shout. Jesus is the reason that I wake up on Sunday morning and come to the house of God. Jesus is the reason I'm still in my marriage. Jesus is the reason I haven't lost my mind. Jesus. See, when the ministry of the Holy Spirit is working, we don't talk about what other people did. did. Yeah, the word was good, but I praise God for Jesus. Yeah, you did a good job, but I praise God for Jesus. Yeah, you really, Lord is really using you, but I praise God for Jesus. A church is built on Jesus. Not a person, not a program, but Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, I play the background. I play the background and I, and I show off Jesus. But isn't that amazing? Because the Holy Spirit is equally God, fully God. And yet he submits to show off the Son of God. Not jealous of Jesus. When he shows up, he's not trying to do things and gyrate and losing control so that people look at the person. That's not the Spirit. When the Spirit moves, everybody knows the Spirit is moving. And we're not concerned about what that person has done. We're saying, you know what, I need to praise him myself. I need to get some of this myself. I need to glorify him myself. Because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts. It counsels. And it does it in such a beautiful way. But it champions Jesus. John chapter 4, we see that with the woman at the well, a broken woman who came and had a conversation with Jesus. And in a matter of minutes, Jesus convicted that woman, the Holy Spirit convicted that woman of her sin, counseled that woman, guided that woman to the truth about what it means to worship. And she ran off, championing Jesus. If you're not here today and you don't know Jesus, we're praying that the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would work on you. Paul says, because we know, because we fear the Lord, we persuade men to come to him. We can do all the persuading in the world, or we can speak with eloquent sentences, and we can get your heart excited by these words, but if the Holy Spirit don't give your heart life, We can't force you to take Jesus. You've got to pray to God and say, God, give me a heart for yourself. If there's anyone who, here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus, we, we beg you, we beg you to seek his face, to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Change your perception of sin. Surrender to Jesus. He died on the cross so that you would have life. He was resurrected from the grave in order that you would know 
the power of God and how He can resurrect you from anything. If someone's here today and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm here and I'm a believer, but I have not been been really thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I haven't been, been working and, and, and reading and, and praying and, and pursuing God's presence. Today, we say, that's okay. Repent. Pray to the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, consume me. Give me a deep passion for you, a passion that runs past, a passion that I have for anything else. And we're confident that he will do that. Let's stand to our feet as we have a time of worship and have a time of prayer. If you are in need of prayer about anything, uh, we're going to have our deacons and our